as I'm trusting that most of you are informed people who pay attention, you know that there are parts of the world that have been devastated by natural disasters. Uh, I have a good friend in Mexico City that I've been communicating with, and uh, it's been horrifying and difficult experience for folks who've been affected by the earthquake as well as hurricanes. If I could ask you guys to continue to remember folks in prayer. Secondly, as you feel led, find good, trustworthy organizations to give financially. If you're looking for one, our denomination has actually a great ministry that gives financially, so you could check that out on our website. As well as, I don't want to take for granted that maybe some of you might feel prompted to actually go, physically go. And uh, some churches are doing that. They're physically sending folks to be able to help in the recovery effort. So I want to prayerfully ask you to consider this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and live on mission. So please continue to do that. Secondly, real quick, you know, as, we, as we've been uh, challenging you to, to be in small groups, I just want to say this, and I don't want this to be an out for some people, but I want to say this. The reality is there are small numbers of you that might not be able to be in small groups because of season in life. Some of you, for example, I could think of some people work two, three jobs in our church to support a family, and it's very difficult to be in small groups. We get it. Some of you are in school, med school, residency, so on and so forth. It's very difficult. Moms, young moms who've just had a baby. It's circumstances sometimes get very, very difficult to be in community, and we get that. Here's the thing, though. What you need to do, what I need to do for in those seasons of life is to grab some really good friends around us and say, keep me accountable that when this season is over, that I be in community. You hear me? Because here's what happens. We get really comfortable and we slide into this, ah, I'm not in community because it is comfortable. Nobody keeping you accountable, so on and so forth. And even when the season's over, we just kind of slide right, and we need people to go, ah, 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 no, no, no. I need you to remember. So, for those of you that are going through seasons of life like that, um, I want to encourage you. If you can't be in small groups this season, it comes three times a year, three seasons. Ask somebody. Keep me accountable. Uh, after this morning service, uh, one of the most encouraging things for me, and this actually happens fairly often, is I had a visitor who came up to me and said, Pastor Peter, I've been a part of Alcoholics Anonymous for 12 years. He said, this is my first time here. And he said, he said this, he goes, almost everything you talked about today are principles that we talk about. And I thought, ah, uh, ah. Uh. He talked about welcome, hospitality, extending grace, living. I'm like, oh, that's what we try to be. That's what we try and be because the question that I posed as we began the first service was this, and here's a question for you. Who, who, who do you have dinner with? Who do you have lunch with? Who do you have coffee with? Who do you, who do you interact with on a regular basis? Who, who is your social sphere? And then because the question comes, are you being hospitable? We're talking about radical hospitality, and I want to open with a quote. It's by a guy named John Piper. John Piper. He was an enormous influence for me in college. I don't agree with everything he says, but his book, Desiring God, anybody, Desiring God, anybody, Desiring God, was one of the most influential uh, books in my own personal journey. He says this about hospitality. When we practice hospitality, we become conduits of God's hospitality instead of self-decaying cul-de-sacs. And then listen to this next part. 
The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when those people who've experienced God's kindness, God's patience, God's welcome, God's grace and love, when we fail to extend that to others, he literally is saying the joy and the passion that we feel when we think about the gospel could be cut off and decay and eventually die. And, and you and I know kind of what this is like. What do I mean? You and I know what it's like when we are just blown away by the gospel and our hearts are on fire and you share that with others. You extend that to others and they hear it and they see it. What, it, what does it do to your heart? What does it do to your heart? It fires your heart, ignites a passion for your heart, even a greater measure. But what happens when we keep it? And we shut it off. And we don't extend it. The joy and the passion that you and I feel for the gospel because of God's kindness, God's grace, what he's done to us in the gospel, it's intended to be extended towards others, which then inflames and fuels our... Can I just ask you something? How's your joy for Jesus? How's your passion for Jesus? Because then the question is, how are you and I extending the welcome, the hospitality that we've been recipients of to others? How, how many of us are living our everyday lives going, God, I am the recipient of the most incredible hospitality. I was a stranger, an alien, a sinner, an enemy of God, and yet you welcomed me, you included me, you embraced me, which then caused me to go, who can I bring in to God's hospitality through the experience of my hospitality? How do I use my time, my words, my energy, my resources, my home, everything, anything that I have to extend that to others? Because the degree to which extended to others is the degree to which our hearts then are ignited again for Jesus. How are you and I in living a radically hospitable. Now, the problem is we need to unpack hospitality, both in our culture and in the church. What do I mean? Biblical hospitality has nothing to do with Martha Stewart and Pinterest and table settings and, and hotels and cruise ships and all this other stuff. Hospitality also, biblically, do you know, has little or nothing to do with Christians and inviting Christians and fellowship with Christians. I am crazy because I actually believe that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus came to earth and extended radical hospitality to sinful humanity, and as a result, he changed the world. And I am crazy enough to believe that if we were to follow the way of Jesus and embrace radical hospitality, we could change the world too. Can I get an amen? Somebody's clapping back. We could actually change the world through biblical hospitality. 
Jesus did it. What is it? What is biblical hospitality? Let's look, shall we? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. The word there, love one another, is the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. That's love for us, brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ. And we love that. But the author of Hebrews says, but, 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 but remember also to not forget to show, verse 2, hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. And there's so much to unpack there, and we're just going to do that most of this time. But he says, I love each other deeply. How, by the way, how are we doing that in here? We do Okay. Odar, how are you doing in just loving your brothers and sisters, those who are of and in Christ? Because often he says, those communities, here's what happens oftentimes. By the way, does this remind you of the church you grew up in? You're real tight, real close-knit. You hung out afterwards and lunch and all this stuff. But if you would ask somebody who didn't look like you, a different education level, who didn't smell like the rest of y'all, who didn't behave right or believe the right things, whether they felt welcomed, what would the answer be? The answer would be, we have somebody shaking. The answer would be no. For some reason, Christian communities, and this is the reason why author of Hebrews says this, who deep love for brothers and sisters are sometimes the least hospitable. By the way, the thing, the thing that I want to do our churches, this was last week, I want two things to happen regularly in our church. Number one, I want us to greet everyone that we don't know. Can we just do that? Can we just do that? We want that to be new community. By the way, if you're new and nobody greeted you, come talk to me afterwards, okay? We want to we wanna just be a church where, by the way, do you know why? Do you know how counterintuitive and counterculture that is in the city of Chicago? Who says hi to you if they don't know you in Chicago? Answer, nobody. Can we just be a church where if you don't know somebody, hey, what's your name? You're new? Can we just do that? And secondly, secondly, and we implemented this rule. We don't like rules, but here's a rule, and we said last week, if you don't do this, you can't come to our church anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 not amen. Three-minute rule, what is that? As soon as Carlton is done playing the last song and I come give a benediction, we said last week, can we, this is work in progress, can we just agree to be a church where for the first three minutes, we actually find people that we don't know and talk to them first? Before we talk to people we know. I know this is absolutely terrifying to introverts, and we'll help you, but please, can we be that church that is not only love for each other, but also what? Love for the outsider. By the way, what is hospitality? If the Greek word for love one another is brothers and sisters Philadelphia, the word for hospitality actually in the Greek is philoxenia. It's a combination of two words, philo, love, xenia. Xenia is a Greek word, xenos, from which you get the word foreigner or stranger. And philoxenia, hospitality. Let me just drill this in because we're going to spend the next like five, ten minutes drilling this in. Hospitality, biblical hospitality is love of strangers. Biblical hospitality is love of strangers. I'm going to say it again many, many more times today. Hospitality, biblical, is love of for strangers. First sermon point. Biblical hospitality is what being biblically orthodox and radically loving looks like in practice. Biblical hospitality means we 
If you're taking notes, we don't compromise our convictions. Let me be really clear. We don't dilute the gospel. We don't, we don't mess around with core convictions of who we are. But at the same time, we are radically loving. We are radically welcoming. And let me ask you something. Look at the church landscape in America. And here's what I find. You have churches that are biblically orthodox, that are conservative, that are theologically sound, anchored in the gospel. And we love that. But the strangers never feel welcomed. And we'll unpack what the strangers are. Then you have other churches that are radically loving. We love everybody. We're inclusive. But when you really drill down and go, but what do you believe? What are your convictions? What do you hold to? What anchors you? It doesn't matter. Biblical hospitality says, without diluting the gospel, without ever missing, we are radically loving the stranger. Who is the stranger? Everybody, everybody, give me a few minutes to unpack this because this is the thing that we need to be about. Stranger, simple definition, is anyone who is unlike you. Stranger is anyone who is unlike you and unlike me. A stranger. And the first thing, by the way, we notice about strangers, I'm going to put that in quotes because I'm going to pack it. The first thing we notice about strangers is how much they are unlike you and unlike me. First thing we notice, stranger is that person that we fear. Stranger is that person we're suspicious of. The stranger is the person we're just kind of unsure of. Can I be blunt and more specific? For some of us, the stranger is that person of a different sexual orientation. For some of us, the stranger is that person of a different race, ethnicity, culture. For some of us, the stranger is the person of another belief system. He's a Muslim, he's a Hindu, or maybe an atheist. For some of us, the stranger is when you're on the CTA and there's an empty seat and you see a bunch of people walking by, the stranger is that person in your mind, you're praying, please don't sit next to me. The stranger is the person that voted for the other candidate. The stranger, oh, we're getting personal now. The stranger is the person who don't shop where you shop, who doesn't go where you go. The stranger is the person you've labeled, and we're really good at labeling in our country, and we'll talk about that, and you've written off. The stranger is the person you hate. The stranger is the person you're indifferent to. The stranger is the person you don't ever want your children marrying. The stranger. And Jesus has the audacity to say, do you want to know what it means to be hospitable? You love the stranger. You love the stranger. I need to unpack a little bit the society culture that we live in. Can I do that? Because here's the thing, and I had a couple people come up to me and go, I need you to drill that home in the 11 o'clock service. And I said, <laughs> I said, I don't know, man. You guys look like you were tuning me out. He's like, no, I wasn't tuning you out. I said, it was uncomfortable, and we didn't want you to keep talking about it. And this is what I said to them. This is what I said to them. I said, you and I live in a country culture where we're conditioned to mistrust strangers. Would you agree with that? Suspicious of strangers. Mistrust, suspicious. And by the way, because it feels so normal and it feels so natural. Like, but, but here's the thing. If I were to ask you, why are you fearful of them? Why are you suspicious of them? Why are you unsure of them? Your answer would be what? Your answer would be what? 
for many of us, it'd be, well, it'd be normal, na natural, normal, natural, powerful concepts, I know. But the problem is, hello, somebody. Jesus comes and says, I'm ushering the kingdom, and in the kingdom, I take what's normal and natural in the world, and I flip it upside down. The whole point of the kingdom of God is Jesus comes and says, for example, the first will be what? Last and the last. And in that culture, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. That just doesn't even make any sense. That's not normal. That's not natural. And Jesus says, precisely. Guess what I came to be about? Jesus Christ comes and says, I am, if you're a Christian, you need to know this. I am, ultimately at the end of the day, ushering a whole new way of being that takes what your country, what your society says is normal and natural, and I'm going to flip it upside down. So who, your culture, society says, we honor you. Jesus says, be suspicious of them. And Jesus says, the people that in your culture, society says, you're not important, you don't matter. Jesus says what? Esteem them with high honor. Jesus says, in the culture that you live in, young folk, you make your money and it's normal, natural to what? Hoard it? Use it for myself? Spend it? Live a lifestyle that makes me feel significant? And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, in the kingdom of God, check this out. I'm going to flip that upside down. In the kingdom of God, Christians, followers of Jesus, we intentionally lower our lifestyle so we have more to give. I could, I could go 10 more minutes on this. In the kingdom of God, what you think is normal and natural, Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Paul says, don't be conformed and fashioned to the ways of the world. Don't be fashioned. But every single one of us, to some degree, we are totally fashioned. We are totally fashioned to the ways of the world. And if you go, but I don't drone, I don't smoke, I don't. that's not what he's talking about. My question to you is this. Look at your social sphere. Do you avoid the stranger? Do you exclude the stranger? Do you and I surround ourselves with people who look like us, who act like us, who believe the same things we do, hold the same convictions that we do? After all, it's so comfortable, isn't it, Peter? Here's the problem with that. The problem is, at the essence of Christianity and the gospel, it rarely makes you cozy or comfortable. Can I get an amen? C.S. Lewis says, genuine spirituality is like Jesus coming to your house. And you're going, I just need a little remodeling done in my kitchen, please. And he's coming with the bulldozer, and he's leveling your entire house. And you're going, what the heck is going on? He says, I am about to level that and build a castle, though, fit for a king. Genuine spirituality is supposed to unsettle you, make you uncomfortable. It's supposed to disrupt you. It's supposed to make you go, whoa, what the heck was that? That is genuine spirituality and the gospel. And yet we go, but I want comfort. I want to be And so we surround ourselves and we fall into this lazy pattern of just, ah, oh, this is not my experience. And our fears, our ignorance, our suspicions, our doubts, our uncertainty about strangers never gets dislodged. Now, Peter, what does that have to do with hospitality? It has everything to do with hospitality. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because when and if our hearts are filled with ignorance, suspicion, hatred, forgiveness, jealousy, there is no room there for welcoming the stranger, for receiving the stranger. For listening to the stranger. But just give me a list of things to do. Your heart is full of you, suspicion, greed, 
jealousy. For some of us, by the way, unforgiveness and bitterness. How can you possibly receive people when you've got bitterness and unforgiveness, toxic thing that's just dwelling in your heart? See, second sermon point is hospitality is a state of your heart before it becomes a practice. The first thing that we need to open might not be our door. It might be our hearts. Before you prepare a table, you might need to prepare your heart, church. Can I say something? This might offend some of you, but it's okay because I don't intentionally offend, but sometimes I do. Maybe the horrors of 9-11 didn't create bigotry towards Muslims. Maybe the horrors of 9-11 simply incited existing bigotry that was in our hearts. Maybe the walls that divide us, that make it impossibly hospitable, have been there for decades. Look at your heart. Look at my heart. Only you could answer this question. What's there? Is there space there to receive? And don't be quick to answer that. Don't just go, wow, fine. No, think. Is there space there to receive the stranger? Is there space there to receive someone who is totally different from you? Is there space there to receive that person? Here's a question. Who is your stranger? I was going to say, let's have an Oprah moment. And everybody, who's your? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I simply want to ask you to be ruthlessly honest. Please, 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 don't shirk. Don't, don't, don't just, don't just. Who is your stranger? You're a visitor. You might never hear another sermon like this in church. I'm glad you're here today. Because as Christians in America, we need to ask this question. Who is your stranger? Who are you afraid of? Who are you suspicious of? Who are you unsure of? Who have you never had around your table? Who is your stranger? Who is your stranger? And here's the question. Have you ever had them around your table? Have you ever given them an hour of your undivided time? Have you ever, ever tried to walk a little bit in their shoes? Have you ever tried to enter into their world? Or... Have you said, I don't need to, because I already know you? You do? You really do? Someone said this, the closest distance between two people is a conversation. I love that. The shortest distance between two people is a conversation. Maybe the beginning of the answer to some of this is proximity. Maybe the beginning of this is you and I sitting down with somebody in proximity. Because here's what I've learned. I'm just me. It's really hard to live and love an entire people group if I don't love a single person from that people group. It's really hard for me to love people with disabilities if I don't know a single person that I love with disabilities. It's really hard to love the poor. If you don't love a single person who is poor, it's really hard 
to genuinely love your black brothers and sisters if you do not know and love a single person who is black. Who is your stranger? Please don't shake me off. Please, please don't sit there and go, yeah, I just, who is your stranger? And could you maybe consider the possibility that maybe a meal, see, see, maybe a conversation, maybe a brave invitation cannot solve all the society's issues, but begin to dismantle and disrupt the walls that divide us. One of my favorite shows recently is a show called United Shades of America. Anybody watch that on CNN? Clap if you do. Nobody. Phenomenal show. You got to tune in. CNN, what y'all watching? Anyway. <laughs> Kamal Bell is an African-American comedian. And the entire premise of the show is he says, it follows a black dude who goes where black people don't go or don't expect him to go. That's the premise. First show, he visits. <laughs> it's a stall. Like, he visits KKK leaders and organizations in the eastern part of the country. The whole show. It, I just felt uncomfortable just watching it. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh my gosh. But one of my favorite shows is not that one actually. It's another one where he visits eastern Kentucky and visits a coal mine. The town whose industry has been devastated. Coal industry. And he meets this old gentleman. And I, this is powerful, you guys. He's talking, check it out, by the way. He's talking to his, and, and, and they get into a conversation, and he finds out that this old gentleman actually cares about the environment. And there's this moment, because I don't know about you, but I just assume that if you live in cold country, you don't care. And in that conversation, what he assumed is being disrupted and debunked. Then another powerful moment, he actually gets the curse to ask about the word hillbilly. Just tell me about that. And in this gracious and yet powerful moment, the guy says, well, that word is primarily used for insiders because, you know, if used for outsiders, it's derogatory. I'll tell you why that was so powerful for me. How many of you and I have never courageously asked a question about something we're ignorant about? Everybody's hand should be going up. What do we do? We assume and we label. I just know. And in that moment, that old gentleman also graciously begins debunking and brings clarity to language, which is fraught with all kinds of issues. He brings clarity. And in that moment, there's actual connection, humanization. That would have been impossible without proximity and conversation. Who is your stranger? Who is your stranger? You know what we're called to do? Check this out, you guys. Hospitality philosophy actually had a practical meaning. Love of stranger. It literally meant to bring them into your home as guests. Let me say that once more. It literally meant to bring them into your home as guests. And I'm going to talk more about biblical hospitality uh, or uh, the, uh, the, the culture of hospitality back then and what that was like. But literally it says bring them. Because listen to, listen to what the author of Hebrews says happens. And 
Full confession, I have no idea how this actually works. I just know that it works, and I'm thankful for it. I'm gonna tell you, what he says right here, I just go, okay, I don't know all how, but listen to what he says. Verse two, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why? Because some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The context is Genesis 18. Abraham's going about his business. Three strangers come. He meets them. He invites them into their home. The next day they leave. And Abraham realizes what? That it was God and his angels. The Benedictine monks took this literally. You know what they said? They said, Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was a stranger. And you what? You invited me in. You know what they say? Benedictine monks Every single human being you encounter are not incidental to your life. You might be passing God when you pass by that person. You might be passing God. The Benedictine monks say, because you never know in whom God comes. God might be coming to you and me in the form of that stranger. And when we lock our doors and lock our gates, we might actually be forbidding God himself from coming to us. And can I just say this? Never before have we needed to know as much as we do now that God could actually come to us. And you all come here on Sundays, you sing, God, maybe when you walk out of these doors, God, Jesus comes to you and me. But not only God comes to us. I, I don't know how this works. I, I, I have no idea. Here's the other thing that happens. Not only does God come to us, but God also does something through us. Here, here's, see, see, here's, this, this is, a, this is a, a commentary from one of my favorite, favorite New Testament theologians. Bill Lane and this verse says this, for Christians, the expectation is that God will play a significant role in the ordinary exchange between guests and hosts. The expectation then leads to hospitality, a sacramental quality. If you grew up in the church, you kind of know what he's saying, that the sacrament, what are sacraments in the Christian life? You have the sacrament of baptism, water, you have the sacrament of bread and wine, or the Lord's Supper. And what we believe is that in that moment, that ordinary common thing, water, bread, wine, you can get it anywhere. In that ordinary thing, when dedicated to and used by God, God's power and his presence comes through it. In that ordinary common thing of water, bread, wine, you can get it anywhere. God says when you dedicate it and use for God. His power and his presence. Come. And he says, that's exactly what hospitality is. That means that after this, when I go out for coffee with somebody, I take seriously not only that God might be coming to me through him or her, but that God's power and grace could be communicated through them. That means that when you invite someone for a meal, Invite someone to your home. When you, and I've seen some of my people do this, when you go to a hospital because one of your friends is waiting for a test and they're nervous and you just sit in the waiting room, you hold their hands, I'm right here. 
all those common, ordinary things, a meal, coffee, things that you and I do every day, that that could become a conduit of God's grace and his power. Do you and I realize the significance of what that is? And if you ask people who've done this a lot, they'll tell you that the impact that they had on them, they didn't know for months and sometimes years. You have no idea what five minutes there, 10 minutes there, 30 minutes there, a listening ear, a handheld, a shoulder, coffee arm. And the amazing thing is, and this is the work that you did in their lives, you know what they do? They take that and they go, who can I do this for? That's why the, 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 the story of the bread, the bread that Jesus and the fish being multiplied for thousands is so powerful for me. Because literally what God does is that hospitality that you showed where your grace, his power comes through you, that that person gets touched by it, then they go to two other people, those people go to two other people, and it expands and multiplies. Do you have any idea any idea what is happening when you sit across another human being? Do you have any idea? Real quick application, then I need to tell you the motivation for this. Number one, observe. Two weeks ago, I was at Mariano's. Anybody else shop at Mariano's? I shop at Mariano's. And one of the baggers was a young man with Down syndrome. And I happened to be in his line. I said this is 9 o'clock. I didn't get emotional. I said I might get emotional. I might get emotional this service. Because he sat there and he said to everybody came by, plastic or paper? Plastic or paper? And nobody looked at him. Nobody looked at him. Why, by the way, because we live in a world where people with disabilities, you, what does the world say? I told you the question, what's normal and natural? Nobody looked at him, customer after customer. And I was like the fifth one in line, and this old lady, this old lady who was right in front of me, saying, paper or plastic, she stopped. She looked at him and she said, paper, please. How's your day? And he smiled from year to year, and he said, my day is going great, thank you. And went about bagging groceries. Do you know what radical hospitality is? You're gonna walk out here today, and you will ignore, not even see, human beings created in the image of God for whom just you actually observe to give life. Secondly, welcome people. Create a welcoming environment work. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? That means that he infects and affects every area of our lives. Here's the problem. Many of us go, church, but at work, When's the last time you thought my desk could be a place of radical hospitality? 
How many of us go to work, we put our head down, we put up whatever to the grindstone, I'm looking out for number one, I'm looking out for me, I've got goals, I've got, and boom, 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 boom. We are completely missing out on kingdom assignment. When is the last time at work, at work, at work, you stopped and you said, who could I be a listening ear to? Who's hurting? Who, who needs truth spoken? How could I have my desk be a place where people would encounter the Do you have any idea? Third, invite people into your home. Some of us, I say this nicely, we need to stop having dinner with Christians. It's okay to have dinner with Christians. But if 100% of your meals are with Christians, read the Gospels. You are not walking in the way of Jesus. Can I get an amen? How many people do you invite into your home who don't know Jesus, doesn't believe what you believe? And no, they're not our projects. See, the thing is, many of us think of evangelism as, as arguing someone into believing Jesus. Maybe, maybe evangelism is just being a blessing. Maybe hospitality, as Henry Nouwen said, is just creating simple space where enemies can become friends. And we don't change people, but people become changed as a result of experiencing God's presence. When is the last time you invited someone into your home, apartment, or even a meal who is not a follower of Jesus? Fourth, invite people into your spiritual home. Just as important. Small groups, worship gatherings, ministries you're part of. Invite them. Invite them and graciously take them out afterwards. Fifth, I got to be quick about this. Fifth, host a small group. Some of us haven't done a whole lot since we've been here. And I just want to say one thing. You want a simple way to serve the church? How about if you host a small group? How about if you open your home and say, I know this is going to be costly. I know this is going to require a lot of work. But you know what? And I might not have time right now to actually lead a small group. But how about if I make my home, make my apartment, even if it's like 30 feet by 30 feet, available so that people could come. Here's another. Be an usher or a greeter. Do you know, if you're a new community member, you need to pay attention to this. Do you know that visitors and guests make judgments and assumptions about our church before CC plays a single note, I sing, and I say a single word. They've encountered what new community is like by, did they say hi? Were they friendly? Did they stare at me the wrong way? What was it? They come in here, and before any note is sung, any word is preached, they've already, why? Because they've been greeted and ushered. If what I'm saying to you actually makes sense, and you go, I want to be a part of making a difference in this church, we are constantly in need of people who will serve in the ministry, which is closely related to hospitality team. I hate that word. I hate the words hospitality team for this reason. We shouldn't have certain teams because they should be the responsibility of everybody. Can I get an amen? That's why we don't have an evangelism team. You know, because only no, we're all called to share the gospel. Hospitality team though in our church exists because we want to try to create spaces where people that are new could feel connected. I just want to say this out there. Pastor Caitlin has been trying to put together a hospitality team for nine months. She can't. Do you know why? There are no takers. So in case you're going, wow, I thought they had... There's literally, we're scrounging for people who will say, what I want to do for this church is to create warm, friendly spaces in which we could be welcoming. 
CC, you can come on up, brother. You and I, we, we, we won't be able to walk out of here and go, well, let's just do it unless we recognize this powerful truth. You have to be powered by the gospel. Can, can, I, can I just... Y'all, it's been an exhausting day for me. I don't know if you could tell. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm drained. You too? Yeah, it's, it's hot. It's hot. So just bear with me. Just for, um, my only hope for me and for any of you to even begin to, are you kidding me? Welcome the stranger is when I realize that the essence of the gospel says he welcomed me when I was a stranger. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Those of well-educated, I have all the money in the bank, I'm at, I got connections, I'm cool, I'm networked, I'm a Christian. I've been, think about what the essence of the gospel is when Paul says the following words in Ephesians. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ and strangers. I want a stranger, God. If you were a stranger, Peter, in the covenant of promise, having no hope, I wasn't without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far away, you have been brought near. You have been brought near. You have been brought near. Me? Me? God, me? Yeah, you. You were that stranger that you're suspicious of. You, fearful of you, unsure of. That's you. And I deserve to be excluded. I, I was an enemy of God. I lived my life as if I'm my own God, I'm my own Lord. I live a selfish, self-absorbed, judgmental, self-righteous, prejudiced life. That's me. That's me. I won't speak for you, but that was me. That was me. And God, through His Son Jesus says, I want to welcome you. And you don't have to prove anything. What do you mean I don't have to prove it? You know, Peter, you live in a culture where you have to prove yourself. You prove yourself every single day. Girlfriend, boyfriend, people you're interested in, your work, your family. Every single day, it's normal, natural for your culture to so prove yourself, prove yourself, prove you're beautiful enough, you're smart enough, witty enough. Prove yourself. And the gospel comes and says, you didn't have to prove anything. And I accepted you. Is this good news to anybody? The essence of the gospel literally says, you didn't have to prove anything before I accepted you. Which says, I'm not loved because I'm worthy, but I am of infinite worth because I'm loved. How could you encounter this truth and ever shut anybody out? man with this I read an article literally the title of the article is what happened when our Christian family stopped inviting church friends to dinner 
Here's what happened when this family, Christian family, stopped inviting their church friends to dinner. Several years ago, my husband asked me a simple but life-changing question. Who eats at our table? In other words, to whom are we hospitable? The answer to that question was simple. The people who ate at our table primarily are church friends. They're people who tend to see life like we do. You know, same religion, same denomination, same economic class, same educational level, the same, the same, the same as us. That was clearly our practice, even though the Bible we read tells a very different story about hospitality. And even though Jesus gave us a very different example. See, on two notable occasions in Mark's gospel, Jesus takes a small offering, like, like a simple sack lunch of fish and bread that's enough for only one boy, and miraculously multiplies it to feed thousands. A point of the twice-told story, by the way, is that on one occasion, the miracle took place among people who are the same as Jesus and his disciples. That's Mark chapter 6. While the other story, found in Mark chapter 8, takes place among people who are different. The repetition of the bread multiplying stories illustrate that God welcomes all people to the table. In example after example in the Gospels, Jesus gathers around tables with people who are not the same, the same, the same. And in so doing, he gives a giant hint after giant hint that God sets an open table. See, from manna in the wilderness to the Last Supper, we're supposed to understand God's kind of table. Breaking bread, sharing life, building community across the boundaries, humans erect is a non-negotiable for God's people. So when our family made it a goal to practice biblical hospitality in this sense, we joyfully found that it required learning to cook vegan and halal and kosher and paleo and gluten-free. In the process of shopping in the organic section, detecting the kosher symbol on canned foods, and googling halal recipes, we entered new worlds in our very own neighborhood that were previously unknown to us. And through it all, God taught us these things. One, we learned that eating kosher and halal required spiritual discipline that we admire. We learned that eating local sustainable food, that's a justice issue. We started to see agrarian ecological themes in the Bible that we had never noticed before. And we learned that the food we eat and the people with whom we eat all week long is mysteriously connected to the sacramental meal of bread and wine we eat at church on Sundays. And we learned that saying grace before a meal is more than we ever before imagined it to be. Of course, we still invite our church friends to dinner often, but now we could introduce them to other friends too. The people around our table are no longer predictably the same, the same, the same as us. And in turn, we've been guests at tables of generous new friends of all kinds. And in it all, we experience precious moments of human solidarity. With all the problems in the world, it may not seem like inviting people to dinner or breakfast or lunch or coffee will make much of a difference. But like the young boy in Mark's gospel, we simply offer what we have a little lunch, a little bread. I guess you could say we believe in miracles, that God still brings people together. And through the breaking of bread, even if it's gluten-free, who is at your table? Let's pray together.